In nature, a wildfire is one of the most devastating natural forces. It burns hot and fast and leaves little behind but ash and char. Or so it seems. Very soon after the fire passes through the forest, life returns. Shrubs and weeds that clog the forest floor have burned away, leaving space for new trees, grasses, and flowers to emerge and flourish. Habitats are created, bringing new insects, birds, reptiles, and mammals. A cancer diagnosis can feel like a wildfire, our bodies becoming this new, fire-clarified landscape. For some, cancer changes utterly everything. For others, cancer brings greater clarity and purpose. And some of us are still searching for what life after a cancer diagnosis will look like. Welcome to The Burn. We are exploring stories of life and transformation following a breast cancer diagnosis. I'm April Stearns, the founder and editor of Wildfire Magazine and the host of this podcast. Today, we're going to hear a piece about what happens when you don't feel at home in the breast cancer community, when you haven't yet figured out where you fit in the so-called pink sisterhood. We all want to know where we belong, where our people are. Where are the ones who understand us and accept us completely? For some, being diagnosed with breast cancer means a new group to join, a group of people who understand cancer jargon and the emotional toll and the complicated path of survivorship. Maybe these are my people, you think. Last week on the podcast, we talked to a woman, Jasmine, who found her people at a conference for young survivors of breast cancer. When I was first diagnosed and getting a crash course in breast cancer, it was brand new to me that there were subcategories within breast cancer. I thought breast cancer is breast cancer. But like so much in life, it's way more complicated than that. Some people are diagnosed with hormone receptor positive breast cancer, for example. For me, I was hormone receptor negative and HER2 positive. That means a specific course of treatment and a different prognosis from someone who is hormone positive. Others are positive for all three. That's estrogen positive, progesterone positive, and HER2 positive. Again, different treatment regime. Some are negative for all three, and we call that triple negative, and it has its own treatment course and challenges again. To further break it down, within breast cancer, there are early stagers. Those are the ones diagnosed between stage zero and three. And there are those diagnosed stage four with subgroups for being diagnosed stage four right away called de novo or diagnosed stage four after a metastatic reoccurrence of breast cancer. And it can keep being broken down depending on where the metastatic findings are within the body and if they are one or more. All this slicing of the breast cancer pie into smaller and more specific pieces is because different treatment plans mean different decisions, different side effects to parse, different vocabulary to decode, different survivor stories. From the very beginning with Wildfire Magazine, I have always published writer bios that include diagnosis specifics. While I'm all about getting deeper into a person's story because cancer is just one aspect, I've always wanted to include the diagnosis as an immediate place for someone who's scanning the magazine looking for someone like her. Reading, her eyes land on a bio that feels familiar. Maybe she was diagnosed around the same age or has the same staging or the same breast cancer type. And this begins our map of the world when we find out who else lives there. Because I do call these categories, these deep pockets, the worlds in which we live. I live in the world of HER2 breast cancer. Some of my people live in this world too. 
I also live in other subworlds within the young breast cancer world. Identifying them is important to me in grounding myself and discovering that I'm not alone. My guest today is Lori Ratliff, and her story is all about this, the various specific worlds of breast cancer in which she resides, and her search for the other residents of these worlds. Lori joins us today from her home in San Francisco. Welcome to The Burn, Lori. Thank you. I appreciate uh, you inviting me here. Absolutely. So glad to have you here. So your story is titled, Where Do You Go When You Don't Belong Anywhere? And we published it in the December 2019 issue of Wildfire called Social. And I'm just going to go ahead and let you read and then we'll chat a bit. Okay, thank you. I was young when I was first diagnosed, 34 years old. I was the youngest person in my support group. I was a young survivor before there was a large online community of young survivors. I am no longer young. I'm not even on the threshold. I'm 55 years old. I don't belong with the young survivors. I'm not a parent. I have never been a parent. I don't know the pain of giving birth. I don't know what it's like to imagine leaving children behind. I never had to care for a tiny human while going through chemo. I don't have children. I don't belong with the mommies. I don't struggle with infertility, even though I can't have children. I knew at a young age I did not want to have children. It didn't break my heart when I was thrown into early menopause. I'm quick to let people know I'm childless by choice before they grieve the loss of my non-existent offspring. I don't belong with those mourning their fertility. I've been married almost three decades to the same man. We met seven years before I was diagnosed. He did not leave. We are a team. I've never been single with cancer. I've never had to navigate dating after having a mastectomy. My scarred and ravaged body is loved for simply existing by the man who married me when I was young and whole. I don't belong with the single women. I was diagnosed over 20 years ago. Living with cancer is familiar. I've been through, dealt with, worked on, and experienced many, many things. This is not fresh. This is not new. I don't belong with the newly diagnosed. I am BRCA2 positive. I had genetic testing done 19 years after I was diagnosed with breast cancer. Only one of my mastectomies was preventative. I had it done 15 years before I knew about my genetic status. I don't belong with the previvors. I am metastatic. I was metastatic with my initial diagnosis. I have not had a reoccurrence. I've been stable since I finished treatment 20 years ago. I have not had the constant life of chemo that most metastatic patients have. I am not a typical example. I sit quietly on the periphery because I'm not the kind of metastatic that makes an urgent statement. I am the exception to the rule. I don't belong with the metavibers. The place where I finally feel like I belong is not a place I would have ever imagined. It's a community centered on the way I have existed since the beginning of my treatment. Because while I was disconnected from social media groups, a community formed around the absence of a thing. I found a connection for something I don't have. Who would have thought that not having breasts would ignite a sense of community? 
to me something so basic to my existence, so intrinsic to this disease for so long, has become unusual. It has become a movement. It has become a community. Flat has its own identity now. I'm a flatty and I belong here. Mm, thank you so much for that, Lori. I love that. I get chills when you when you were reading it. So let's take a quick little break here. We'll let you catch your breath. We'll hear a little testimonial. And then when we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about where we belong and how we find our place. Hi, I'm Becky. I'm from Ontario, Canada, and I was diagnosed with stage two triple negative breast cancer at the age of 38. I've tried so many things to help me cope with and make sense of my cancer diagnosis, but nothing compares to putting my story down on paper and sharing it with the wildfire community. Thank you so much, Becky. Thank you so much for the love. All right, Lori, let's chat a bit, shall we? Okay. Yeah, thank you so much for that beautiful piece. So right off the bat, you know, it's been a while since we published that, since you wrote that. Would you like to catch us up on your on your stats or where you are now as compared to when you wrote that? Uh, well, I am now 57, not 55. Um, my diagnosis was 23 years ago. Um, so I have been flat so for over 20 years. I have been stable for over 20 years. Um, so in other words, not much has changed other than the years passing by. That's wonderful to hear. I love that. So let's turn for a second now to, um, to writing the piece. I help people uh, write their stories and bring their stories out when they're having trouble with them. And one of the writing groups that I do um, is called Firestarters. And we do taking a story from the initial kind of stream of consciousness through drafts. And I always ask the women who participate in this group a question to help them kind of hone in on what's important about this story. And my question is, why this story and why now? And so I want to ask you that if you can remember when you were writing this piece, after, you know, so many years had gone by, why was that piece important to you? And why did you need to tell that particular story then? I, I had kind of stepped away from anything breast for cancer, breast cancer related for probably almost 10 years, quite a while ago. Um, I was not handling losing people who were in my initial support group. And so my reaction to it was just to withdraw and step away, which also was very isolating because I didn't know anyone like me. I didn't know anyone else personally with breast cancer. You know, occasionally I would run across someone, you know, somebody's mother-in-law. And so we'd have a little chat at that point. Um, and basically, you know, we would just talk about the breast cancer part. But I still felt like I was the only one. And so I had been wearing prosthetics for 15 years and I started to develop some chronic pain in my neck and shoulders. 
And one of the things that caused a lot of pain was the weight of the prosthetics on the upper shoulder area. And so I had to kind of make a choice of what am I going to do to help stop the pain? And one of them was I need to stop wearing the prosthetics. And so to present flat was a bit of a challenge for me because I was so used to kind of camouflaging and disguising it so that I just wouldn't have to answer questions or talk about anything. And so in this decision to, to make my pain less, it also meant that I had to make myself more open in a way. Um, but was unsure how to be comfortable with it. And so I ended up finding groups on Facebook that were um, about being flat and celebrating it. And so I had joined some of those groups. And at that point, I hadn't been on Facebook for a while. And so when I went back on, there were tons of groups now. I hadn't realized that it happened. So in addition to joining the flat group, I also found other groups. I found um, people with metastatic breast cancer groups. I found, I even found like an outlier metastatic breast cancer group. Um, and so I joined those, but it always seemed like the conversations going on I couldn't always relate to. Even though I was flat and I had joined the flat group at that point, what I was finding was it was mostly people who were newly diagnosed. And a lot of them were trying to decide, do they want reconstruction or not? And so there's a lot of conversation going on about things that I had no contribution to and so felt like I was on the outside. And so with the metastatic ones, I felt like I was on the outside. And I had tried to go to a couple of in-person gatherings and groups and still felt completely on the outside. And so I had started writing that piece and it had actually, um, ended before that last paragraph and I had just kind of held on to it. And I don't remember the actual sequence of event of wanting to contribute something to wildfire and finding that piece of writing and wanting to finish it and complete it. And then also the formation of a group that was um, a flat retreat where women from all over actually went on a four, three or four day retreat all together and we lived together. And so it was more than just being online. It was meeting face to face and it was interacting and it was of all ages, of all reasons of being flat um, and just finding an incredible connection with these women, even though so many things were different, just that one thing and us being in the same place at the same time made me feel like I finally found a place that was comfortable, that felt right. And so that 
piece that I'd started writing then, which always felt unfinished. It felt like it left things in a bad place in a way with me still lost. And then I had this ending to it that, that felt like a new beginning for me. You know, I've been lost for so long, not finding anybody and then finally finding groups in person and then meeting people in person that that was the conclusion, but also then the beginning of something else. Oh, I love that so much. And you really hit on something that I especially love about writing, which is that it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to complete right away. You know, it might be a story that needs to be worked on over time. And sometimes even the starting of writing, it helps you to see oh, I, I have a little ways to go yet with this. And hopefully, you know, now I can find this as an ending for this story. I love that it gives us that agency. So as you and I are talking, we're in the midst of a pandemic, we're coming through a pandemic. And so, you know, you've been talking about how good it felt to see people in person. Have you had to I suppose, retreat back into more of like a social, uh, you know, a social media type group setting. Um, how has that been for you? Are you still connected to the to the flatties? Um, yeah, I've, I've definitely completely isolated because both me and my husband have conditions, you know, that make us more susceptible. So we really went into protective mode. And so, um, yeah, so it's been more of an online and and actually what ended up happening was just before just before the pandemic hit well, a couple months i had joined um TikTok, the app and started just making silly random recordings and really enjoyed doing that um and so when when somehow the the online the the somehow the facebook groups were becoming not quite as satisfying anymore um because it is it's it's faceless it's you know it's just on uh just the typing just the text that that face connection isn't necessarily there um and so i earlier this year, I actually created an account that was specifically for flatties and breast cancer, just so that, well, the, the first, the intention was just to get the information out there as, you know, aesthetic flat closure as a valid post-mastectomy option, just because hearing so many women are not told that it is even is an option. And that upsets me. It's like I, you could choose whatever you want, but you can't choose something if they don't tell you it's a choice. So I started doing that and ended up connecting again with a whole new set of women across the world um, in, all, in, in all different stages, some pre-surgery. And so I have actually, 
you know, through their posts have watched them go through their procedure and their treatment um, to, you know, other people being further out and along and how we managed to kind of make our own tiny little community, <laughs> you know, so that people will bring me questions. And if I don't have the answer to it, I can make a post saying, hey, I don't have that answer. But anybody else, any of the other followers, please chime in. And then there'll be a whole conversation that can go on. So while it has definitely curtailed any kind of in-person meeting, for me personally, because I'm just not comfortable quite yet um, with the pandemic and the variants and all that. Um, it's I, I found another way to connect and a little more personal of a way. So it's kind of just shifted. Yeah, I love that. I love it so much. And I actually I'm really glad you brought up the TikTok because I I know I mean, you're becoming a bit of a TikTok star. So congratulations on that. I love it. But I also wanted to to acknowledge that part where, you know, something maybe started from needing to find your community to an active form of advocacy for aesthetic flat closure and helping others, like you said, with their decision making. And I, I really wanted to talk to you about that because, you know, we are, we're recording this right now before Breast Cancer Awareness Month begins. We will um, have your episode come out in the midst of Breast Cancer Awareness Month. And so people listening to this right now may be struggling to find their place in the community and struggling to find their place in advocacy. Did you, did you ever see yourself as an advocate or is it something that sort of came about organically or do you have any advice there? I, I never saw myself as an advocate at all. And it really did just kind of come about naturally. Um, it, it initially came about in that I, I had done a post just about cancer and in it, I had a partial shot that was showing my scars. And even though that is supposed to be allowed on most social media platforms showing mastectomy scars, um, TikTok had not caught up and I was getting violations of the community guidelines and getting my posts removed, which kind of spurred a little bit of a um, I don't know if I want to say a rebellion, but a, a drive to say, that's not right. You need to, you need to let us do this. And, and you not letting that um, is not fair because this is an, an, a disease that affects so many women. There's such huge decisions that need to be made and you're silencing a, a very, useful way to get information out. And so it just started slow and people would complimently compliment me on, you know, the videos that I share. And so we go, oh, yay. Okay. I'll do some more. And so when I made the, uh, the account that was specifically for flat and breast cancer, it really just started with the kind of an idea of, showing, you know, showing this is flat. You can live with it. You can be happy with it. It's okay. There's nothing wrong with it. 
But then when people start asking me questions, then I realize there's so much information that needs to go out there. And I'm all about information. I'm all about the education. Um, and so that just kind of started a whole snowball rolling that all of a sudden I'm people are telling me I'm doing advocacy work and I'm going, okay, I guess I am. <laughs> well, I just love that because because then you're able to be authentically passionate about it, you know, when it comes about that way, as opposed to someone feeling like they are supposed to be giving back, but it, you know, they haven't quite figured out what that looks like or if they're comfortable with it yet. So I agree with you. And I think that it's okay to just take it slow and wait until it kind of develops, you know, and whether it will or not is fine. And actually, and that's, I'd been feeling that also for years, the, that feeling of wanting mm -hmm. to give back to the community and just not knowing how or what felt good or what felt right mm -hmm. and what I was capable of doing. And so, and that, and, you know, you want to help, you want to do something. And so it is kind of a frustrating feeling a feeling like I'm not, you know, I'm not part of any kind of solution and you want to be. And so, but you can't, like you say, you can't just force something on it. It really needs to be something that means something to you. Absolutely. And I also think there's um, a piece there of evolution to our stories too. You know, when we are first diagnosed, we get kind of put on this um, really fast moving conveyor belt, you know, of decision making. Some of that is surgeries and all these things. And then it takes time to assimilate with all of that and decide how you feel in this body or how you feel in this community. And like you, I also had aesthetic flat closure for me, just one side. I'm, I live asymmetrically. And I also like you wore prosthetics for a, or a prosthetic for a while. And now that I am not living with it, it's also something that I'm able to talk about that I couldn't before. Like I needed to get to a place where I was okay not wearing that prosthetic and then okay being visible and having my body be a tool of advocacy. Like all these things take time, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I know that there are a lot of people who have aesthetic fat closure and they are immediately comfortable with it and they don't have that sense of you know, needing to get comfortable with their body. Uh, and that's great. That's really a wonderful place to start at. But I know I did not start that way. And so I think a lot of times um, when people do the advocacy for flat, they are so comfortable with it. We, we get to be so comfortable that we are showing our scars in public, in a public forum, and then people assume that it's it should be that easy for them. Mm -hmm. And so that's why I like to talk about the fact that it, it took me a while to get here, you know, because people said, oh, I love that you're just so confident about it. I wish I was like that. I'm just not there. It's like I wasn't there for a long time and that's OK. It's it's is a whole process that you have to go through and you're going to be uncomfortable. 
at times. Absolutely. And also it's not necessarily the goal to whip your shirt off on social media necessarily. And it's not going to be for everyone, but for those who are comfortable with it, making that visible does help someone else be braver in her own way, you know, of whatever that journey is. And like you said, and then, and and maybe also gives birth to someone who the day after their surgery are very visible too. Yeah. Because that's why I try to let people know is that showing your scars, that's not for everybody. Mm-hmm. And it's not expected. That's not like, oh, you have to do that if you're going to be a flight. No, absolutely not. Exactly. This is like the flag that we fly up to say, hey, we're a thing. We That's how we get the attention. And then when people come and say, oh, wait, what, what's going on? Then we can talk about it. Exactly. So it's, you know, it's like, I don't do all my TikToks without a shirt, <laughs> you know, is <laughs> I'd, I'd switch around, you know, sometimes I show clothes that I think look good on me as a flatty. And then I encourage other people to show what they like to wear. Um, you know, so it's, yeah, I don't want people to think, oh, if you're going to have aesthetic flat closure, you're going to be expected to show your scars to everyone. Absolutely not. That's just like, right that's a tiny little section of people. And if you're comfortable, that's great. If you're not, that's great. Exactly. Well, and this is such a great place to, to end our conversation on too, that advocacy is as many different shades as there are experiences and comfort levels. And for some people, it's going to be just living visibly. Other people, it's going to be more behind the scenes, you know, maybe writing a story or, donating money or whatever, you know, it is giving a friend a ride to chemo or something, you know, it's, it's as many different types as there are people. And yeah, because one, one person to- can't do all the types of advocacy, you know, so one person exactly. doesn't have to do the fundraising and the writing and the visibility. And it's like, no, if we all take a little piece of it, then we cover all the bases. Exactly. Exactly. And particularly when those of us aren't feeling well, you know, with it it is a cancer community after all, and not everyone is going to feel up to snuff all the time to do all of the fighting. So we take our little or take our little piece. Well, thank you so much. So my guest today was Lori Ratliff. Her piece was called, Where Do You Go When You Don't Belong Anywhere? And this was in the December 2019 social issue of Wildfire Magazine. Lori, where can people find you online? Um, On TikTok, you can find me at Statistical Oddity. Uh, Also the same on Instagram. I like that, Statistical Oddity. All right, we will link to you in the show notes. Thank you so much. I'm April Stearns. You've been listening to The Burn. The Burn's a production of Wildfire Magazine where we share breast cancer stories from young women like you've never read or heard before. We also strive to inspire you to write your story like you've never written it before. Stay till the end for a writing prompt inspired by today's episode. Our producer is Bill Smith of Shoe Production and our production assistant is Monica Haro. Want more on the life-changing transformation to be had from telling your breast cancer stories? Visit wildfirecommunity.org to find a copy of the issue shared in today's episode, to find our more than 30 issues in the Wildfire archives, and to take a writing workshop with me. Discover how to write your way back to yourself, write your way to reclaiming your body and your story, and don't forget to subscribe to The Burn and listen to it wherever you go. 
So here's your writing prompt. Writing prompts can take all different forms and sometimes they come from quotes like today's. So today's quote is from C.S. Lewis. He said, friendship is born in that moment when one person says, what, you too? I thought I was the only one. Wherever you are, maybe you are searching for your people. So I want you to use this quote for your prompt. Set your timer for eight minutes, write without stopping or editing, lean into that time and write, I'm searching for, I'm searching for. All right, we will see you next time on The Burn. Happy writing. Thanks for listening. Take good care.